Hey everyone, I'm really excited about this episode. This is a preview of an interview that we did with our sister podcast, Death Panel, on B and Artie's coming book, Health Communism. You can pre-order the book. There will be a link in the description. Uh, if you want the full episode, you can go to patreon.com slash workstoppage and give us $5 a month. And you unlock not only this interview, but also all of our other content, whether it be our overtime explainers or anything like that. Either way, you should still pre-order the book. Doing this episode with them was so wonderful. And I hope that you enjoy at least this preview. Solidarity forever, y'all. In the lead up to 2020, there was a lot of discussion, essentially, in term, in, internally within people who, within groups that were basically putting together the policies that became, you know, for instance, the ones that were brought forward in the House and the Senate, about whether it was worth it or not, basically, to include long-term care at all, as though long-term care was like a separate form, was like completely separate from health care or something like that. It's a luxury service. Right, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and to that end, for example, you know, you bring up this, I think, uh, situating this through, for instance, uh, talking about the difficulties with wrestling with the, the sort of realities of what, for instance, like certain union positions have been towards universal health care over the last couple of decades or towards, you know, for wrestling with the fact that, for instance, there are struggles that have been one or pushed back or, or whatever what have you in terms of healthcare for unions over time that you know I understand why people don't want to feel like they're losing their gains or whatever and why for example when uh, this isn't a, a national example like a federal level example but for example when B and I went in fuck 2019 was that 2019 to Albany yeah um, to <laughs> we, we went to like what is time see um, state single payer hearings in Albany um, in New York in like 2019 around and you know there are, there are you know unions there testifying saying like we don't want to lose our health insurance and so they're having this whole conversation suddenly it becomes like oh maybe we'll have a carve out we'll do you know state single payer but you can keep your 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 shitty plan. Yeah, or it was whatever. the public sector unions really specifically that they wanted like an exemption. So like we right. could do like a state single payer, but like all public sector unions wouldn't be included. And it's and the reason I'm saying this is because, you know, in order to understand the the actual gravity of what is needed, you have to understand that like these things which appear at first to be maybe, you know, points where you could have some sort of argument or where you could say like, oh, take or leave this component or or whatever, they're fundamentally, um, like there, there should be no, you know, bargaining on this basically. Like for example, health insurance companies at a baseline, I think we say even in the introduction, we've talked very little about health insurance companies except to say they don't have a place in society. Like exactly. private health insurance companies yeah. do not belong in society full stop. And so, you know, as a as a baseline, the idea which I still you know believe in is Medicare for all in removing health insurance uh, and in creating a single payer does do a lot of work to create uh, possibilities for solidarity for people to use that sort of um, new system as a capacity to fundamentally change a lot of the other things that we're kind of pointing to as saying. We have to change. Have to change. In that sense, it is like a very good and important, necessary 
either i don't know it, i mean I, don't, I hesitate to talk about this in terms of like incrementalism or something like that but like if there's some sort of actually revolutionary incre- incremental reform it would be medicare for all but it is still something that we have to understand that needs to be uh leveraged towards a very specific you know intention of really achieving all care for all people if we're going to be doing anything but really i think repeating the mistakes of the of the past yeah and i would say that some people you know might be like well this is just semantics right like if we're fighting for the same policy, it doesn't really matter, you know, if I say that I want Medicare for all because it costs less, because you could say you want Medicare for all because it will provide all care for all people. And fundamentally, I think what we're, we're really trying to impress on people is that it matters how we argue, not just what we argue for, because, you know, if we if we want to go with the problem of U.S. healthcare is cost and not the fact that it's fundamentally organized to be a system of extractive abandonment, then what we're doing is, you know, we're going to basically naturalize the idea that seeking a cheaper system is what the goal is. And that also justifies, um, you know, while we fight for Medicare for all, what bosses are going to demand of their workers, which is to um, get cheaper costs on their end for the health coverage. And so what we see is in our arguments for Medicare for all, what we're actually doing in many ways rhetorically is we're providing support for the people who have their boots on our neck. We're giving them rhetorical ammo in order to undermine our own fights for very small workplace um, protections, like whether that's like maintaining your health coverage or not having it further reduced. But, you know, by saying that the problem is cost, we give ammo and support to the people we're fighting against. And it's one of those things where, you know, it, it's it's not semantics. It's ultimately about, you know, creating a um, a kind of leverage through policy reform towards something that could be revolutionary. So the point of Medicare for all, the reason why Medicare for all is a good uh, policy for the left to be fighting for as a kind of middle ground is because it creates collective bargaining at a scale in the United States that hasn't existed in healthcare before. So it's not about, you know, lowering costs. It's about making it so that someone in Georgia and someone in California and someone in South Dakota and someone in New York and someone in Ohio and someone in Pennsylvania can all come together and help each other assert their right to care wherever they're living, spatially in the United States. As it stands, county to county, workplace to workplace, as we are sort of in these divided and subdivided and decentralized health finance systems where everybody is sort of in their own unique payer with thousands of different formularies and thousands of different types and scopes of coverage and what's allowed, that means that any work that one person does towards securing their own care only goes towards their own care and can't be used or leveraged by other people in other locales and other places and other times towards their care. And so the point of Medicare for All is not to create a cheaper plan, a more efficient plan. That's that's fundamentally uh, antithetical, actually, to the point of Medicare for All. The point of Medicare for All is to take the power away from the payer and put it in the hands of people who actually need the care and deliver the care and make it so that we can sort of come together to you know, fight, you know, the the kind of uh, austerity that is upheld by this decentralization, this decentralization that takes our fights from something that can be, you know, a, a kind of like 
situation where if, you know, if we had one health payer in this country and you had something like, for example, um, the kind of situation where we're seeing the uh, COVID vaccine being thrown to the private market in 2023, right? If we had single payer in the U.S., it would be a much different story for people to sort of negotiate for what the cost was going to be at uh, at point of service for the, the COVID vaccine. But as it stands, it's going to cost something totally different depending on where you are. All COVID care is going to enter the private market and begin to be decentralized and broken down in this way that not only, you know, makes care more expensive, quote unquote, like it, it also takes away any leverage that we had that was created by the kind of unification of the payer at the federal level. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a, uh, a relationship that I think should be obvious to people who look at labor issues frequently where it's like, I mean, getting everybody on the level, on the same level, fighting for the same thing altogether, and the power that is generated by that is the same reason why we fight against two-tiered contracts in, in union yeah. agreements. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I also think, you know, for example, that's why, you know, I would I would say, like, in terms of thinking about, I think the language that B used earlier was, like, as a, some sort of, like, Medi- Medicare for All as some sort of, like, middle approach or something i think it's basically part of the goal here is to have that understanding that medicare for all which currently in you know american politics is for the most part like looked at as this you know pie in the sky this is never going to happen be realistic buddy you know uh shut the fuck up and sit down you communist or whatever is the floor (laughs) like medicare for all is absolutely the floor and what we want is to um i'm gonna i'm just gonna use um the words of uh, ashish job because i just i completely <laughs> i love uh that this quote uh exists and i haven't had enough chances to use it but i find this really appropriate so little known uh or not i guess popularly known by a lot of people necessarily is that before ashish Jha was the covid czar the covid uh, the coronavirus um response coordinator for the white house he was primarily a guy who was studying um, health finance systems, actually, or and healthcare systems in in general. A lot of his um, research was actually about basically saying, uh, "Oh, you know, private market for healthcare, cool. It's great, actually. It's actually really good," <laughs> um, which should come to no surprise as no surprise to anybody. But um, so during the uh, like 2020 election, Medicare for All fight, he gave a lot of comment to different newspapers and things about this and in um the washington examiner in february 2020 he commented to them the quote is i don't know what the constraints are that are built into the medicare for all spending and without constraints medicare for all becomes unmanageable there are no countries that don't have constraints the idea that everything is covered for everyone is unprecedented unquote and i just want to say he's right but what we want is unprecedented. Right. <laughs> you know Absolutely. what I mean? Like he's right, but he's wrong to say that it's bad. Well, yeah, I mean, I would argue that he's only right because the countries that have tried to implement systems that actually make all care free to all people have then been immediately been placed under massive economic siege by the United States, yeah. uh, which imposes then a real scarcity on those places. Yeah. 